7 o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is? Coming to you live and electrified from Studio A, high atop the escarpments of Whitetail Peak, the roof, ruff, ruff, of the American Hindu Kush. This is Dr. Amp, doing the vamp for liberty, climbing the ramp to justice, and lighting the lamp of freedom. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch. From Idle Thumbs, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. On this episode, we are discussing part five of Twin Peaks The Return. This episode was written by Mark Frost and David Lynch, directed by David Lynch, and it first aired on June 4th, 2017. So in... Yeah, what happened this week? This week... Cooper inches closer to regaining his faculties as the fallout from Dougie's disappearance builds up ominously and Mr. Jackpot's streak of luck has consequences. Bad Coop <laughs> makes clear that he's got some bizarre tricks up his sleeve. The Buckhorn investigation hits on some surprising pieces of evidence while the FBI also makes a connection. Some familiar Twin Peaks faces meet some new idiots and Jacoby is definitely going to sell some shovels. <laughs> I'm usually in the room when you write those. That was good. Uh, I feel like we should maybe get the most important thing out of the way first, which is Dr. Jacoby's Dr. radio show. <laughs> uh, so you mean Dr. Amp? I'm talking, of course, about Dr. Amp, Dr. Jacoby's new yeah. uh, alternate name. Yeah. Um, On the Freedom Vamp? Yes. There it is. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. Yeah. I, I've... Oh, doing the Vamp for Liberty. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I can't believe what a stupid slow burn, like, dr- wasn't his shovels? Like, that was like, the first thing. That was literally the first scene you see outside of the lodge in the f- yeah. in the season premiere of the yeah. show, is him yeah. receiving the, like, Amazon yeah. boxes or whatever those were. And the payoff of that is that he is basically an Alex Jones-style conspiracist huckster yep. selling seemed- cheap gold-painted shovels. Yep. He seems like he's more of the, like, paranoiacs. He's... I mean, I guess these days the most obvious comparison is Alex Jones and InfoWars, but he seems like he's like late night public radio, mega hippie version of that a little bit. He's a somewhat more classic version of it. Yeah. Um, except, except that he's, that he's, except like that he's like streaming like, live to the internet. Yeah. And, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that, was, that was the reveal I didn't know I wanted for those shovels. I mean, I think yeah. we, we postulated that it was maybe just going to be some really goofy garbage. And we also postulated that Jerry Horn would uh, be figuratively buying whatever Ben Horn is, or uh, uh, Jesus, not Ben right. Horn, uh, Jacoby's selling. Not, maybe not literally that he's buying uh, Jacoby's shovels, though. I was, yeah. uh, I, this is such a good example of why I, I feel like speculation is just totally pointless. Like, how many, how many of all of the sort of plot threads that have um, ended up happening, ended up sort of coming to some conclusion or development starting with characters we know anything about? How many of them have been things that would have been in any way possible to predict? I mean, it's every... Major Garland Briggs fingerprints being on that John Doe. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Somehow, I would never have thought about that, but you're right that you and other people did. Um, So, fair point. 
But on the other hand, we're also now blessed with Dr. Jacoby running the most the most extreme mixed media conspiracy theorist radio <laughs> yeah. show out of his trailer. Um, we're seeing that Jerry Horn, weed salesman, is definitely into it, as is Nadine, the consumer of all televised drama in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a good, uh, that was a very good and appropriate little bit to get in of Nadine right there. Yeah, like what is Nadine's replacement for Invitation to Love? Accurate. It is a weird yeah. conspiracy theorist <laughs> blasting stuff out on YouTube who yep. she kind of knows. Welcome to 2017. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll see you again in 25 years <laughs> when this is what media is. <laughs> when Twin Peaks is literally that is, yeah, is a live streamed weird farcical experience. Yeah. His TV commercial for the shovels was also very good. Yeah, the fact that it's the most classic, like, made-for-TV advertisement. Yeah, except that since David Lynch is involved, he still has a mysterious gold button attached to a wire that runs off camera that just makes the lighting on him yeah. change. Well, his someone on the forums pointed out that his entire setup is, like, basically a trip through the 20th century of audio broadcast technology. Yeah. Which was really good. He's got everything from the most old school to the most modern component yeah. involved. Yeah, his, his sort of... Mid vintage video camera, but it's broadcasting out on an iPad, etc. And yeah. like the the crank based audio mm-hmm. emitters, yeah, it was very good. Absolutely not what I was expecting, and I could have never hoped that that was the scene that it would be. To your yeah. point about speculation, but like I'm really glad that's what we got. I really liked that Russ Tamblin either acted very convincingly like Dr. Jacoby had written that speech before going on the air or literally he had just he had never it read it. Out. I know. I mean, oh, oh. I mean, it was ambiguous as to whether or not the actor had actually read those lines oh, or saying. if he was just playing Jacoby as that, but I right. didn't really care. It wouldn't in any way surprise me if Lynch had the speech written out and just said, read just this. go now. It felt like an authentic performance. I mean, we would all like to think uh, when you write a speech out before you have to give it, whether you're on a broadcast or in person giving a speech, that you would be able to do it right. But he totally did the version of, I wrote this out on a piece of paper and then I'm on TV and this is just going to be the content I deliver. Yeah, like, it, so- he, it sounded like the it sounded like an effective version of those sort of iconoclast radio personalities where it sort of straddles that line between like this stuff's just always in my head all the time, and I'm just blasting out whatever version of it is coming to me yeah. right now. He played and, it, he, like I have an actual arc to this. Yeah, thing. Un- unskilled person trying to make planned talking points sound extemporaneous was accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, also just a blast of Jacoby was really good. Yeah, to get. yes, with full on outrageous getup. His like weird arf arf pun and stuff, classic, yeah. classic weird baby boomer, classic jokes. like seventies humor, seventies like burnout humor. Yeah, kinda, I yeah. feel like this Jacoby, like Doctor Jacoby's weird litany, might have been the easiest thing for Mark Frost to write in his entire uh, <laughs> like in the last two tw- tw- two decades. Yeah, well, if you if you follow Mark Frost on Twitter, he's also constantly uh, complaining about like conservative politicians and and yeah. like conspiracy theories and stuff. Um, so it definitely hits the wheelhouse of his dorky love of ridiculous conspiracy theories yeah. and his frustration with like political peddling of them. Yeah, that stuff combined with that like winking, we're all in the know, aren't we? Ha yeah. ha, I can make this joke about yeah. a non-joke yeah. style of style of political humor. Ah, it was an accurate good vision of where those three characters are mm-hmm. going to be in Twin Peaks. Yep. Do you want to talk about Cooper? Who- I suppose. I mean, now that we've gotten the key scene yeah. out of the way, yeah. uh, which Cooper, Chris? Cooper as Dougie. Cooper Dougie? I mean, full, yeah. I, I think the main Cooper, I, I assume. So it's your right? belief at this point firmly that this Cooper is slowly waking up 
And I think so. I mean, clearly there is a like the echoes of the words that he repeated in the conversation with his manager and stuff. Yeah, like that. he's learning about. He's like not learning. He's remembering himself. Yeah. Right. I mean, like he he repeats the words like agent, case files. Obviously, coffee is a big thing. He's. Yeah. I think we're meant to see that he is like he sees the uh, sort of statue of the gunman, mm-hmm. and I I think we're supposed to imagine that he recognizes. Like one of the former tools of his trade, mm-hmm. you know, in this in this man aiming a gun, but then also at the end of the episode is just totally fixated on his shoes, um, you know, something like these. Because you think that's because he uh, he swapped shoes. Yeah, he left his shoes behind. I think. I mean, that's another yeah. sort of just part of his just int- classic part of his uniform. Um, Twin Peaks has had a fascination with shoes Let's for half a second. Definitely, yeah. Beyond Leo talking about getting new shoes all the time, mm-hmm. Mike's job was a shoe salesman, yeah. uh, which I had forgotten about until mm-hmm, yeah. this episode. And now Cooper leaving his shoes behind and sort yeah. of There's just fa- all this fondling a statue's pe- shoes. People losing and gaining and buying and selling shoes uh, uh, and fondling metal shoes. Yeah. Um, yep. It's just, you know, one of those themes. Classic Lynchian theme. I, was, <laughs> I don't know. Um, shoe replacement yeah uh, so and displacement. I, I think that it is certainly the case that while both coops are in the world I, I don't think things are ever going to get a hundred percent back to normal but I think it's it is inc- it seems increasingly likely to me that at the same time there is sort of a level of sort of almost like generalized mental degradation that Cooper underwent simply by virtue of being spending 25 years in this completely otherworldly otherworldly place and yep. part of what's happening right now is that he's just slowly easing back into his uh actual personhood. Right. Um well I guess this is I I before I keep talking I I agree like that's my take on it as well that it feels like he's just coming to grips with reality slash some amount of his consciousness might be being reborn, but it still is like the Cooper Mm -hmm. that we know slowly, slowly asserting himself. That said, the stuff that happened with bad Cooper has made my ability to entirely internalize what's going on get increasingly complicated because I know we have like Cooper swapped with Dougie. Presumably it was actually Cooper's corporeal form because he popped out wearing Cooper's suit. His like, he weighs a different amount. Yeah, he's thinner. It is Cooper. At the same time, the bad Cooper, I feel like I now, even though I never entirely understood what a doppelganger was <clears> in the <throat> final episode of Twin Peaks and in Fire Walk With Me, uh, in the final episode of season two, my understanding of a doppelganger versus Bob versus Cooper yeah. has gotten more complicated yeah. now because yeah, of the yeah, scene yeah. with the doppelganger checking Seeing in Bob. on Bob and yeah. saying, oh, you're still with me. Yeah. But like that not, we could talk about that later, but it made me go, okay, well, my, I'm gonna. I'm holding on to my assumption of Cooper's journey right now because of the stuff that you mm-hmm. just said. Because of all of him, you know, the way he's seeing all these signifiers, so, but and and grabbing on to the, to the familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, so my take on that is that it still basically works the same as it as my previous understanding. I think, which is that there is the sort of like prime version of these characters, which is the one that typically exists in the real world, and then there's the doppelganger version, which typically resides in the Black Lodge, and the doppelganger version is the one that can be possessed by Bob or like possibly other mm-hmm. entities from the Black Lodge. I don't know. 
And the reason those things typically seem mutually exclusive or like the reason it might appear that sometimes someone is like possessed by Bob, so to speak, is mainly because in theory, a doppelganger and a main version of a character shouldn't actually be both in the real world at the same time. So effectively, like when the doppelganger is the real world in the real world, effectively what's happening is like that is the version that is like Bob possessing that person. But what is happening right now is something that is absolutely not supposed to happen and was only engineered to happen by the Coop's doppelganger, which is that both versions of Cooper So you are, think we're seeing, you think in Bad Cooper we're seeing functionally, what if Cooper as he was, was possessed by Bob for 25 years, and then also Cooper as he disappeared, like when Bob... Yeah. So these are, you're, these are you're, in your mind, these are both effectively two possible trajectories for Agent Cooper able to coexist, one of which is he's been existing with Bob in his head, and the other one was he just wasn't around for right. uh, for any amount of human existence, yeah. uh, for 25 years of existence, and popped back onto Earth. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yeah. Okay. But I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, again, I, I think that's a, that feels really different to me than how um, than how Firewalk With Me presented it, but it... Well, that's, why, that's what I was wondering, because I had been sort of reading this I had been reading Bad Coop for much of the season as like, this is functionally just Bob walking around asserting himself. Yeah. But when he checks in the mirror and looks and says, you're still with me? Okay. Yeah. Or like, oh, good, you're still with me. It feel it made Bad Cooper feel more like the Leland that I knew from Fire Walk With Me than before, where I went, okay, he's still talking to Bob as a separate yeah. entity. This character, whoever he is, is responsible for his own actions. He, I just don't know where he came yeah, from. Yeah, that's true. You know what? I'm going to modify what I think to say that there's like the doppelganger versus sort of prime version of a character that I like holds to what I said, but possession by Bob is like an additional element. Yeah, that's that's that, that can be. It feels like yeah. this this that scene with him looking in the mirror and you seeing like the flashback to the doppelganger of Cooper and Bob laughing together in the lodge. Yeah. And then it does that weird morph on his face. But it, yeah, it felt like there is still a, a division. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what to make yeah, of it exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that brought it back into the, into like, oh, okay. Doppelganger Cooper is not literally just Bob with right. Cooper's no, face. I, on. I think you're right. I think that's correct. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. In conclusion, yeah. Well, do you, do you <laughs> want to talk about just Coop, Cooper's actual? Escapa- yeah, yeah. I just wanted to. Episode? I wanted to get that no, out, no, out totally. of the way. It was on my brain. Worth thinking through because no one. I don't think anyone really knows for sure. No. Uh, but it's interesting to think about. It is crazy to me. It is like you, notable to me how long this is being drawn out. We're three episodes deep Cooper. in the life of the Jones family, right? Yeah. I. This show. I mean. The 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 deeper we get into the season, the more it begins to actually feel like a television show, which we've we observed this last week as well, right? In that there yeah. is like plot that is being propelled, threads you can basically follow. Um, that I, that is definitely true, but at the same time, the degree to which certain threads, like the one dealing with what is ostensibly the show's most important central character, it is being stretched out to to a an unbelievably almost torturous degree. I mean it's really mm-hmm. enjoyable the actual sort of content of this Right, but progress- you just your knowledge of what Agent Cooper is and what you like about him and wanting to watch him on screen just yeah. makes this like yeah. oh as, it's such right. a, yeah. As much as tell as much as um sort of modern prestige television is willing to engage in 
kind of uh, more filmic techniques and and sort of less pure um, form in theory, less pure formulaic um, uh, kind of construction. It is definitely also true that like you still see Don Draper have a bunch of fun affairs and you still see Walter White like fucking art smart everyone and be like you still get the total audience pleasing stuff and the fact that we still don't have just agent dale cooper 25 years later like given a good confident thumbs up and like saying a line with um sort of just like confidence and and, i mean i'm not saying that's what it should be doing i'm just saying it's really notable i think that's why how much this series resists that i think that's why seeing albert and gordon and denise in the last couple episodes felt like such a breath of fresh air and like a relief because i i had said like oh it felt like those are like seeing my old friends again i mean you see them in fire walk with me we literally saw them if you were watched to watch twin peaks linearly like two hours previous to them showing up on on screen Mm -hmm. but having cooper's journey be so crazy and impenetrable to just be like there's my buddies doing the thing they do. And That's the true. Twins, Those are really the only two characters who are just still doing, like they're like pitch with, perfect without becoming parodies. Yeah, like the, Andy the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department yeah. has felt like they're completely befuddled and they don't feel like Except themselves. For Hawk, Hawk, I guess. Hawk, Hawk yeah. does. Yeah, Hawk, Hawk talking to the log lady was the other scene yeah. like that. But like uh, getting the taste of, especially the taste of Agent Cooper and his world, like a hundred percent is like close to undistilled. Mm-hmm. Or it's close to distilled, excuse me, as possible, <laughs> undiluted. Yeah, uh, was was those guys just doing their doing their business last last two weeks? Anyway, uh, yeah. Dougie, Dougie loves coffee and is very confused. <laughs> Everyone helps Dougie out so much yeah. all the time. It feels it feels to a certain point like it is definitely some kind of commentary on basically the idea or like observation that maybe a person could just show up in complete mental and emotional duress and they would just still blend into their environment if they have a life like this. It also made me wonder how much of an empty vessel Dougie was in life and how much people are just used to caring for this guy because he doesn't exist. I think we are meant to assume that to some degree. I mean, Janie E says a lot later than I think she should, given how completely vacant her husband has been, but she does in this episode say, it seems like you're having one of your episodes or something uh, to that effect. So I, I think we are meant to assume that Dougie is, on the one hand, a sort of generally uninspired person, and two, might actually have some history of some kind of legitimate mental illness. Yeah, just voiding out in some way like this. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it seems like you saw that the little green light flashed on the guy's face in the boardroom when Cooper says he's lying. Yeah. So somehow Dougie or Cooper are somehow still- I thought he was like shining like a laser pointer or something on him. I was confused about that. It seemed like it was supposed to be more of a callback to like the floating red room above the slot machines where he's somehow being guided in some way by some force. Although this one felt like it was like his Dougie vision because it was the green light of his his jacket. You know, it's a funny (laughs) funny little thing about that is there- In that scene, we we actually sort of get two different examples of Cooper- um, identifying truth, one of which is literal in that sense, where he says he's lying, he's lying. Yeah. and the other of which is when he inadvertently causes a guy who clearly doesn't actually like coffee, but has been pretending to like coffee because that's what business guys right. drink, 
to he ends up resulting in that guy getting a green tea latte, which the guy just flips out he over. Loves he loves it. Can't believe I know how delicious he. That, that was played so well. Yeah, that was so yeah. good. He's like oh. greedily. He's like what? What? <laughs> what? I like this a lot. It was incredible. <laughs> it was and and Lynch just hangs on it for so yeah, long. Yeah, uh, I I thought that entire. Uh, like conference room scene was great. Starting right from the the the, the guy who's like, I was covering for you and you were gone. You owe me. And like that yeah. felt like legitimately threatening. To was that the same guy he accused of lying? I think it's the same yeah, guy that I he just so that he just owns by yeah. saying he's lying. And then the yeah. guy sort of starts self destructing. Yeah, uh, yeah. That whole that whole thing was great. I yeah. thought. Um, I mean, say all the way down to the scene with him and the boss uh, getting dressed down and getting head of the big yeah, pile of files great. and like him just. Like the, his boss, a former like amateur boxer, yeah, presumably, very yeah, good touch. That, yeah. that whole thing had that good feeling of these characters actually have lives and have weird little details that are coming in and informing the scene, and then the way yeah. that they're all bouncing off of Dougie were unique. And then yeah, seeing seeing Dougie's call and response start filtering down to just Cooper centric stuff was you know mm-hmm. it was good. What did you make of that woman who lets him into the? Women's room. I couldn't figure out what was going on there. I made little of it. Was I mean, she it's, joking? Or? I, it seemed like maybe she and Dougie had had an affair, or like had had or like flirted, had maybe, flirted but not to actually, a certain degree. Yeah. At least like they made out or something. I, yeah, I don't entirely know. It it played. I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe Everything we'll see is, more. <laughs> all of all, yeah. Any interaction like this is so weirdly loaded because of his essentially childlike. Yeah, like without knowing exi- what Dougie was before, and like yeah, you know, it's very hard. Yeah, and only knowing him as this sort of vacant, lost lamb. Yeah, it's a scene like that is really odd, especially because she doesn't. Her reaction at the end of it isn't like, "What's going on, Dougie?" It's like, "Oh, <laughs> anyway, Dougie, like, oh, Jesus, Dougie. all right, whatever." Yeah, so it really, yeah, yeah, it really raises questions about what on earth this guy and his interactions were like previously i know it made me wonder if these weird visions of just complete fortuitous luck was an attribute that dougie had before cooper dropped into his life and that dougie literally was a sort of mr magoo basically. yeah like yeah. dougie was just a mr magoo that had this we- has this weird luck charm so people just keep cutting him a break because he'll like say the one thing he needs to say in the meeting and he'll like walk into a casino and f- piss them off but walk out Legally, yeah. as far as they can, can be concerned, making money like he just yeah. If if I don't know if that's literally the case or not, but I, I it's, it's hard probably to know. not that extreme. I, I right. I mean, it sounds like he he owes had people fifty thousand dollars yeah, though from but, something else that he did. Right, right. So it's not as though everything turns up roses for Dougie all the time. Right, but was that because he? did actually steal or cheat or because this literal same thing happened but the previous Dougie personality <laughs> yeah. didn't know yeah, how to get his knows. way out of it and got himself into trouble. Yeah, that's you possible, know, I, yeah. I, I, um, I'm probably wrong, but th- I was watching how everyone kept treating him. I was like, geez, maybe he is a, was a slightly more conscious Cooper who didn't know why these things kept happening to him but was a more oh, fully formed person. He's like, well, I just won the money and then like right, right. makes a bad decision so after you, it. Or you're like, drawing a parallel to... Like Cooper's sort of intuition and and yeah, but maybe Dougie has this more like manufactured concrete right, version of it, and is also version, and is yeah. actually dumb. Yeah, um, right, but right, right. Who knows? Yeah, oh, the yeah. I mean, we didn't see very much of Dougie, but he didn't seem very sharp for like the the two minutes he was on screen. Well, and just the way people seem to treat him is yeah. is questionable. Um, do, really quickly, do you want to talk about since you just mentioned it? Do you want to talk about the casino? sort of control room scene with Jim Belushi. With Jim Belushi. Yeah. Uh, it was funny that Jim Belushi showed up. Yeah. I keep waiting for, um, 
Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but the two characters that we saw in Las Vegas in episode two, mm-hmm. I don't think they've shown up on screen again yet. Which, there, which there ones? There was sort of the blonde, uh, like tousled hair blonde guy and the black haired guy sitting behind the, the desk in the in the casino. Were either of those guys in this scene? If you they mean w- the guy who sends him home? No. Okay, because that's the guy who gets his ass kicked. Yes. Yeah. I'm talking about the two guys in episode two in Vegas before we're introduced to the Dougie storyline who are oh. like, oh, give, like oh, tell her oh, she oh, got oh. the job. Why do you even oh. work with this guy? You don't want to know. Were those not the assassins? Maybe they were. I don't I think don't so. Yeah, I can't. I'm not sure. I, I feel like one of those guys was a recognizable TV actor, and I can't remember right. his name. Send um, us an email if you if yeah. you have this all sorted. I'll make out. sure that by next week I've, yeah. I'm up on which of those different characters are. But I keep waiting for all of these things to directly connect, and they haven't. Although the number of threads in Las Vegas has gone up. Th- this ep- yeah, last episode was really one in which a lot of threads converged, and in this in this episode. We do actually have ongoing threads that have been converging, but we're also at the same time sort of ex- further expanding yep. out. And so we have sort of more, a lot more tracks than we did last episode. The the piece that we sort of jumped over, I feel like we're sort of running out on Dougie, but mm-hmm. Dougie, or rather Cooper, looking at Sonny Jim and crying. That was an incredible moment. Was yeah. like, and I feel like everyone, I've seen so many different reactions to that moment yeah i read that as some bit of cooper's like emotional consciousness registering that he missed his life that he was gone for 25 years yeah and like it probably isn't that concrete but that was like that was the thing that sarah had the same reaction yeah which i think is totally i think that that is like a a, a really strong read probably better probably closer to reality than mine my initial knee-jerk to that was that he it's sort of similar, but I guess it's like a wistfulness for the awareness that this family isn't his. And oh, that's, that's probably also valid. sort of had some like bonding with this child, but he, it is not his son. And, hmm. you know, ultimately, like those themes seem they're, somewhat they're related, related yeah, of just yeah. like this is not the Lost life that I have, but it is a life. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I saw online people pointed out that Sonny Jim had a blink in an insert shot where he blinked and the footage was reversed. I did not catch that at all. I definitely didn't catch that. Yeah. It's an interesting observation. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we should just, before we move on to other things, talk about everything else that happens inside of Las Vegas, because the other, yeah. the other pieces are the hitmen drive by and then they're being followed by what seemed like they're just car thieves. I, it was my impression. The, yeah, I couldn't the black, tell what to deal with. The Were black they car f- out? It seemed like they might have just been also just noticing that car hasn't moved for days. Maybe that guy's on vacation. Yeah. They're going to steal it. Yeah, yeah. The little kid across the street goes, because he notices the blinking red light, is about to start fiddling with it, but the car thieves take the car yeah. and blow up. Or right. some of them blow up. Two, One, two of them do. Yeah. And then are just Two left of them as- unconvincingly blow up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. An off-screen reaction shot happened where a kid goes, "Huh?" And then a light shines on him, and then there's a flaming wreck of a car. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I, I didn't notice that it was bad until I went in back and rewatched oh, it man. because I, because I happened to look away right at the uh, same time as the insert shot did, so I yeah. just heard an explosion and went, "What?" And looked back, and then it's everyone pretty bad. was dead. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so that that I'm not sure where to go with that. I mean, he went back home, and there was. Crazy music as yeah, his mom was, woke up. Yeah, that was interesting, given and then, how rare music is. Yeah, and then he was just watching the, the car yeah. on fire outside the window. Yeah. The other thing that was happening is we learned that the hitmen, or whatever those guys are, the guys mm-hmm. who have been watching Dougie's car, mm-hmm. who seem like they were, yeah, I guess they are, because they tried to shoot it, yeah. or they were going to shoot it, but he ducked, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, they're working for a new unknown woman mm-hmm. who 
is seems to be somehow connected to the weird doppelganger Cooper slash Agent yeah. Philip Jeffries storyline. Yeah. I think because she types in, she's texting on a BlackBerry. Yeah, she types the word Argent. Yes, Argent, which later seems to be revealed to be short for uh, Argentina because it cuts to Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. which is where... Uh, yeah. In the yeah. missing pieces, yep. deleted scenes from Firewalk With Me, David Bowie's character, Agent Philip Jeffries, who keeps blipping between spaces and seems to be trapped in some weird uh, lodge-related loop, appears in a hotel lobby, I think, in Buenos Aires. Is that right? Like, that was one of Sounds his... right, yeah. It was one of his known locations. Then we see, um, early in the episode, it cuts to that little light, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is then at the end of the episode revealed to be in Buenos Aires. Then it cuts to a little box yep. that when she presses the two on it, it starts beeping and then it sort of condenses down into a piece of metal, like into just a metal lump. I thought she typed E, but it doesn't matter. Oh, maybe she does. I thought I thought it turned into a lump when uh, when when Bad Coop called it. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. You're right. She just did things. She sent a message to it of some type, but then yeah. Cooper presumably, that's you think that Cooper called it. I got the sense that he did. Okay. Right? I, I could be wrong about that. It's worth pointing out that Argent, while potentially short for Argentina, is also French for money, and it's also French for the word- Silver, for, right? For silver, yeah. either. Yes. Bad Coop gets to show off, I guess, in this scene. Yeah. Any ambiguity, like I know in episode two or three, when he had the tape recorder that was able to real-time record a conversation, yeah. and yeah. people said, how does this tape recorder work? He-, he Electricity and yeah, technology seem to just crazy, be his minions. Yeah. Basically, he ha- he can just do things yep, to things. Yep. Yeah. He. I. It's unclear whether the he he obviously has the ability to I I guess engage with people telepathically to some degree or something. Um, or he just knows dirt on that guy. Yeah. In some way. Well, that's that's true. You're right. Actually, I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that. It's it's unclear, but he definitely has information that he is using either for some purpose or simply to unnerve his enemies. And I guess I guess we know so little at this point that it's sort of silly to f- speculate very much about which. Yeah, because I mean, what is it specifically that he says? He says, ah, my phone call, maybe I'll use it to call Mr. Strawberry. Mr. Strawberry. And then the warden of the prison is like, what is going on? And then he says, uh, actually, I won't call Mr. Strawberry. He's not taking calls at this time, which made me think maybe this is a character who's dead and, the, and he knows it and the warden knows it or something like that. Uh, Dana's, I, Dana's suspicion was that Mr. Strawberry is not actually a character and was like, that guy's child's favorite toy or some weird thing. I don't know. I had, oh, I had the same feeling that when he was like, should I call Mr. Strawberry? Mr. Strawberry is not taking calls. It felt like he was reading to a children's book to me. I read it as a code name or something, but that's a, that's a really like, good also. It felt also. like he was just like, at first when I, when I was like, is he just like talking to them like they're children? Because, like, I mean, he kind of had yeah, that no, tone. That, that's interesting, yeah. Uh, and the way that guy was responding, it was like, was that a threat somehow to the yeah. to the warden or whoever that guy is? Yeah, I, I mean... I don't... Uh, no, 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 we have no idea. And I think as we've learned from Jacoby, et cetera, it is... You when we have no information, there's literally no... Yeah, <laughs> like, and, then he di- and then he dialed make... the stuff on the phone, which was interesting because he made, he made the phone make tones that a phone can never make. Mm. But if you remember, like, did you ever play with a touchtone phone back... I mean, you still can, I guess, but who has a landline? Yeah. If you press two of the numbers down at a time, either the harmonics or just the rules of phone circuitry, you get, like, 
solid different tones than you're used to getting. And him pressing those buttons mm-hmm. really reminded yeah, me well, of that. Every, every number has a slightly different tone. Right. But I mean, if you literally press two down at the same time, you get what sound like debug tones on a touchtone phone mm-hmm. that I think are actually used oh, for a purpose okay. that I don't know. But like the way that he was, the sounds that the phone was making and the rapid rate at which he was dialing felt like he was making the phone do things that it should not be able to do. And yeah. then obviously that was confirmed. Whether or not he literally was like <laughs> hacking the security system through the right. phone or was doing something superhuman was ambiguous. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that weird feeling of seeing a person tap into an unknowable thing and then getting those guys to completely freak out was really good. Yeah. And yeah, he did definitely just get to show off. Now that everyone's here, I'll yeah. make my phone call. <laughs> yep. Yep. Do you want to talk about, I mean, again, because I think it's it's ultimately, this stuff is all interconnected somehow. Do you want to talk about the Buckhorn investigation and the FBI? Yeah, there's this, we sort of get those two, there's a, f- a few different cutaways. One was uh, Agent Preston yeah. looking at fingerprints. I wasn't able to determine anything specific from those things. Were you able to, like, I, I leaned really close to my TV and yeah. couldn't see if she was seeing, are they different? Are they, like, right. flopped? Are I, they the same? Which fingerprints are which? My assumption was that, I mean, on the most basic and obvious level, simply because we are being shown her intently studying sets of prints that she obviously is connecting to, um, you know, 25 years ago, Cooper and current bad coop. I mean, we were we spent so long in that scene and she looked so intently at them that I we surely are supposed to take that something was the same either the prints were the same the prints were mirrored with some but right i mean there's got to be something there right. that she's identifying yes. otherwise what's that scene about yes yeah I, I just i was i was sitting there watching that thinking about all the stuff that i had been thinking about earlier in the episode when the doppelganger was looking in the mirror and seeing bob and when thinking about how much of this is cooper's life how much of it is dougie's life how much of this yeah. was stuff that happened before cooper showed up how mu- and when she's looking at those prints, just like, what the heck is a doppelganger? <laughs> it was like just yeah. being yelled by me. And I was glad that we're at least being shown that someone is going to be paying attention to yeah. it. But yeah, the reveal I mean, is being I, held. We have I, a lot of FBI info and leads that have stacked up over the last two episodes that are probably going to be paying off fairly soon. Yeah. I've seen a couple people mention that they thought the prints were reversed. I don't know how anyone got that. I mean, I don't know if people took screenshots of it and compared them. I would never have been able to Maybe get that Maybe they have better internet time, than you and we're seeing a really pristine uh, yeah, stream. Yeah, it's possible. I don't think that we were intended to be able to deduce anything definitively so either. either. Yeah. Um, I, other than something is significant. Yep. I, it's, I mean, it's notable. It's, I don't know if it's notable or not, but it's clearly intentional and interesting that there were two different fingerprint-related um, yes. key pieces of evidence this episode. Yep. Oh, one... One quick thing in the Agent Preston scene, I really liked, like, we've sort of bagged on Twin Peaks' goofy portrayal of computers and how it's, like, very simplistic compared to most TV shows. It was so good that the way that she looked at fingerprints was literally having just, like, a thumb drive full of JPEGs of old fingerprint records and just scrolled and looked at them on a computer. Yeah. That's how a real person would actually look at that stuff. <laughs> like, it was so actually nice and a relief to not have any crime computer bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh also, to see that character doing a job was yes. nice. Yes, yeah. It, that was also good. Yeah. To see her do it like a normal person and not... I liked that it wasn't stylized in the weird Twin Peaks way where it would just like a one full screen thing of two sets of fingerprints that she just stared at for no reason. And it also didn't attempt to guss it up. It was just like, use the computer and look at the thing then look at the other thing. It felt yeah. like a person yep. doing their job in a regular way was good. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, so the more outrageous... Uh, fingerprint-related revelation this episode is that the prints from the male John Doe body in the Ruth Davenport murder are the 16th hit 
for the fingerprints of Major was it, Garland Briggs over the last 25 years. It was the 16th time that his prints have been flagged in a fingerprint search, right? It's not necessarily the 16th time his fingerprints have been found on a person. That's true. It's that's you're right. Because they're the like they're like if it turns act- out to be him, which it won't. Like it feels like these are the guys that have that have gotten prints on right. Major Briggs and gone out 15 previous times, and it's been. Uh, it's not. I, I guess I assumed it was. And again, it's silly to assume anything in this show because how the hell does anyone know anything? But the thing that I sort of my first reaction oh, was like that Major Briggs ha- are showing up all over. Yeah, the place. was that there have been other dead bodies with. Major okay. Briggs fingerprints on them, and they show up, and they're like, "I don't know what the hell this means, but it's not. It's definitely not actually yeah, his body." I, I had three different versions of it that were co- coexisting yeah. in my head because they end it by saying it won't be real, but if it is, but we have to tell is, the FBI, yeah, yeah, yeah. which made me think, okay, there have been multiple bodies with his prints that have somehow turned out to have been fabricated or not a real body, or who knows, like some weird thing mm-hmm. where there's just where they're like where the thing they're talking about is this is another corpse with Major Briggs's prints, which sounds like what you had have been thinking. Yeah. The other one that I had been thinking about was there have been a lot of false leads where people have just misidentified his prints, but every time it happens, they have to send someone out. This like you know. Yeah. If you threaten to kill the president, the Secret Service is going to come to you, whether no matter how whether real you mean it yeah, or not. Yeah. Um, and the third alternative that I had thought about was maybe Major Briggs's prints have just been showing up in unexpected places posthumously because he spent his final years going and doing a bunch of things and oh, going to places he shouldn't have. I see. So a crime scene will flag like right. a latent print right. somewhere or whatever, and a latent print is what they say in a crime show. I don't know what a f- fucking latent print is, but they'll find a, a fingerprint somewhere on like a f- door or a. You know, and then run it through and go, and then those guys have to go out and check on it. But it's not actually anything actionable. But maybe this time it will be because it's like they didn't seem to be discussing that they found it on a corpse. Even they just said his prints got flagged. Right, right. Go look at it. And I I, I assume it's just an automated alert that like someone's been accessed. And yeah, it seems likely that this that this character whose name I didn't catch. who works at the Pentagon? That she's going to go out there and go, "Oh my God, it's it's Major Briggs's body." That's yeah. that's. What I'm I, kind of expecting that as well, but yeah, who, but who knows? Um, which also, it was it was good to see again normal characters in Twin Peaks. Yeah, um, it was good to see that one of them is Ernie Hudson. I know uh, of Ghostbusters fame. Here's a crazy, ridiculous connection. Uh, so we, you and I, both learned last night by way of Austin Walker on Twitter that Jim Belushi was in a series called uh, a mini a t- television miniseries in 1993 called Wild Palms right. which looks like a very post twin peaks conspiracy laden you know sci-fi infused dramatic television miniseries noir thing yeah, yeah noir thing he described Ernie it Hudson. as a Twin Peaks inspired tech noir. Yeah, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson was also in that series. Okay, so we so. have we have mega <laughs> we have mega Wild Palms crossover. As I believe a childhood friend of the Jim Belushi character. Okay, good. So hilarious mini reunion of Wild Palms uh, cast members. We have to get back to. Twin Peaks inspired things crossing over into Twin Peaks a little bit later because we haven't actually talked about the things that happen in Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, which feels like that's all yeah, the stuff we've saved for last. To talk about yeah. Um, the the last sort of oh we never talked about Jade either. We should talk about Jade yeah. in, in just a second as well. Maybe that can be our segue into Twin that's Peaks. True, yeah. The last piece is the characters, the Buckhorn investigators in the morgue with their mortician being a wisecracking goofball character, but revealing that Dougie Jones's wedding ring was inside of this body yeah, that what? tracks, that yeah. has Garland Briggs's fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, that was bonkers. What does that mean? Who knows? Although this is now the second ring associated with Dougie because he also had the Owl Cave yep. ring on. Mm-hmm. Did 
There are a lot of rings in Twin Peaks generally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, did did Cooper's doppelganger just drop that ring into that corpse to somehow implicate Dougie? He's in Las Vegas. Yeah. But all of the, the, the locations are starting to tie together because we have the Las Vegas guy's wedding ring inside of the body found in Buckhorn. Uh, and then conversely, Jade mails the hotel key yeah. from Las Vegas. There's going to be that hotel key is going to come back to the Great Northern right. postmarked from either Las Vegas or a suburb. Uh, yeah. And like there's lines directly now from the Buckhorn murder to Dougie's life in Las Vegas to the Great Northern Hotel in Twin Peaks. Like mm-hmm. that, that those seeds were very gently planted this week for the first yeah. time, like explicitly yeah. linking all of those things together by way of like, by way of forensic evidence, as opposed to just by way of us as the yes. audience seeing connections. Yep. Actually quickly before we totally discard Dougie Cooper, before we leave yes. that entirely, we did not mention the sort of brush snare jazz vamping that underscored his entire coffee encounter. Yes, when Cooper starts, when, when Cooper gets a whiff of that coffee, uh, Bad Lamenti appears. Yeah, uh, instead of Dave, Dave Brubeck this time, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's 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 just it's, it's just like, like Twin that Peaks kind of just ongoing. Yeah. I mean, the way that they edited Take Five last week, they made sure that like the low key drum solo took over took a ton of screen time, mm-hmm. and it made it, you know, feel like that. But yeah, this Settle this felt like this was like back to like wacky hijinks in the great northern right. uh, business office or something yeah, 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 um yeah. i was glad yeah. to have that yeah same 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 and uh yeah jade just being a normal person a person depicted as having her own life that she yes we're going to we're it seems like we may get more of jade's life outside of just she was who dougie was paying who then took care of him for a minute and left him behind right like right seeing seeing her um also, seeing her be incredibly practical, as Dana pointed out, was really good. Where someone's like, "What's this?" and she just goes, "She just looks at it. It's the kind of hotel key you could just put in the mail." Yeah, she just puts it in the mail. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that was a, that was a good moment for that character, and also for uh, just being a really tantalizing and propulsive plot element. Right, we're like, that's going to take like a week to get through the postal service, but then right. Agent Cooper's room key is going to show up twenty five years later from a place completely different yeah. from where the FBI is currently investigating the person they think to be Agent Cooper. And it's like, right. oh. Yes, that's that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, shall we venture to the town of Twin Peaks? Sure. So our, our I think our first stop in Twin Peaks this week is in what like an insurance office? I don't know. It's actually a car what dealership. Oh, car dealership. And it is Mike. It is Mike, old boyfriend Mike. Mike Nelson. Mike Nelson from Twin Peaks, uh, totally chewing out. Some like teenage deadbeat. Yeah, maybe twenty something. Yeah, that's probably yeah, maybe early young twenty. Well, maybe young twenty something playing a teenage. Yeah, it's hard to know. Yeah. That was the same actor, by the way, who played basically the same strung out character in Get Out, the film by Jordan Peele. Okay, I was like, why have I seen that guy very recently? Yeah, yeah he was the brother yeah. in that movie. Also, this sort of like just looks like it looks and acts like kind of a tweaker a, a strung out <laughs> yeah. ab- abuser basically yeah, yeah yeah or maybe i mean yeah he seems like he is he's at least he's at least an emotional abuser yeah. if not more yeah well, he, uh, he does a bunch of blow right oh right and also a drug abuser yeah. i meant of people not of oh, substances oh, 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 oh okay yeah <laughs> but um, yes also that yeah also he's just a coked out loser yeah uh 
Yeah, he who got gets, who gets thrown out of this dealership by by, by Mike by adult Mike, like adult Mike has his life together. That is the most believable arc for that Mike character. Stupid, stupid, annoying jock guy grows up, owns a car dealership, and then dresses down to teens totally justifiably. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It was is. good. That guy did a great job too. Good scene. Yeah, good scene I, for I Mike agree. coming back and yeah. like actually just being a good TV actor in a role on TV. Yep. It was good. Yep. Uh, then so with that directly connects to that character um, reappearing later in the episode as the boyfriend of Brett of Shelley's daughter. Is that yeah? I I, I, I guess think so that's because it, it must be because be. we'd seen in episode two when we first go to the roadhouse that Shelley's talking about how her daughter's mixed up with some idiot. Oh, you're right. So I totally this, forgot about that. Now we, we open with Norma sort of like going over the books yeah. for, the, for the double R. It's so great to see Norma again. I know. You, you're the biggest oh, Norma, Norma booster in the world. Yeah. Uh, it's justifiable. She's great. Then, yeah, she's looking at Shelley and we just sort of get get enough snippets of their conversation to be like, ugh, which is seems like it's Norma's reaction as well. Just yeah, like, Norma's gently chiding her. For, yeah, for, for letting her daughter letting sort of take her for a ride. Yeah. Um, Shelly and Norma have a scene that was, I was glad to see the two of them together. I felt like they were kind of just saying, I, the dialogue didn't super do it for me. It felt like they were they were speaking yeah. aloud the state of their characters instead of letting the actors or their like or understated things say it for them. It felt like they were just like, we know mm-hmm. every the bad things that happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, whatever. Yep. Can't complain, yep. really. Yep. Um, and then we get... And then, and then like... Uh, capital T, capital P, Twin Peaks goes apeshit. <laughs> like, yeah. um, right? Because it's it's uh, Shelley's daughter, whose name I can't remember, and that guy whose name I can't remember because I'm a, a bad podcast host. Yeah. Um, the two of them that in the car together felt, I mean, f- both for surface level reasons and just it, well, it tapped into that element of Twin Peaks in a way that we have not seen. Like, we've not seen a lot of young people, but also the sort of danger and sort of, like, intensity, like, emotional intensity and confusion and threats. Yeah. That whole thing, like, that, the weird, just, like, the latent danger that you're in by just being a young person, I guess. We see that uh, it's, twice This episode, this episode has episode. it twice. Yeah. Which is interesting because Twin Peaks, the original Twin Peaks, the version of that, 25 years ago, I think was much more rose-colored than the version of it being depicted in, for instance, this episode. Yeah, it's it was very romanticized. Even the dangerous parts of it. Well, it, okay, that's it, not true. The deeper you get into Laura's story, the darker it gets. Yeah. But the version of it that's just like teens riding around on like a motorcycle or whatever, that stuff was this very rose-colored. This walked the line between Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me in a way that I found yeah. interesting. Like it, the threats and like the just undercurrent of like, oh, you are not in a good place. Yeah. Felt like Firewalk with me, except that in Firewalk with me, the intensity was just thrown all the way like yeah. the pe- pedal to the metal in Firewalk yeah. with me whereas Twin Peaks it was always like uh, yeah like either rose tinted or an undercurrent and it never really uh, was seen until like there was Boy, occasionally whatever. like just a yeah. spike whereas this was just like ugh, everything's just latently it's just gross latently gross yeah. and assertive people and aggressive people are way too aggressive and way too assertive and it, like it's just like yeah. to the, I mean to the point that lines physical and emotional lines are crossed all the time, but at a smaller level than at Twin on in than Twin Peaks ever saw. It feels like we're hovering in a mid ground where it's just like mm-hmm. a girl's just grabbed by a creepy guy. Well, a boyfriend well, is, I think is a shithead. I like, think the first of the two is 
on just on one side of the line and the second of the two is just on the other side of the line, right? Like yes. the two teens in the convertible, they're sort of skirting that line, but then we get this like sort of release of the shot of yes. I can't remember the actress's name. She's uh, uh she's a known Yes, it's person. it's worth talking about her in, in specifics in a second. But I think I think you're right. But it feels like both those are closer to um, to the middle space than Twin Peaks the show on sort of the extreme yeah. safer end and Firewalk with me on the extreme danger end. Yeah. Like what we're seeing now are things that are really fucked up, but they're the sort of fucked up things that seem more commonplace in in life and not just mm. like screaming, battering, I murder, see, and I a creepy see, possessed father. Yeah. Uh, it's like a, you see a really bad teen relationship and you also see a really bad teen, like, teen like being like a, just straight up physically abusing someone. Right. Uh, like, yeah, but I that's, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, I, I don't know what the, I don't know if there is a point there, but it's just like it, yeah. it, this, this oh, Twin Amanda Peaks. Amanda Seyfried, sorry, is the name of that actress. Yes. This, this Twin Peaks, the town of and the show seems more okay living in and portraying the things that Fire Walk With Me re- yeah, reveals are probably, are, are the, like the, the, the conclusion of. Probably in part because of just the difference of te- what television is yeah. now versus what television was when Twin Peaks aired. Because certainly if you look at David Lynch's film work from even before Twin Peaks, it unflinchingly is willing to depict the kind of, ab- of literal abuse that the yep. Twin Peaks show doesn't quite, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite touch. Um, what was that actress's name? Amanda Seyfried. Okay. She was a very interesting person to have in this show. I mean, she she feels right now like the closest we've seen to a Laura Palmer alike. Like, yeah. inclu- you know, including her being in the sort of pinching, pinching things from her parents, being in a relationship with a guy who's taking more from her than he's giving, but is also giving her drugs driving around in a sort of reckless way in a convertible and sort of like, yeah, like the, the shot of her looking up and listening to the music and sort of actually having a healthy breath of life for a second, even though there's clearly a lot on her mind at the same time. That actress, um, her most notable television role was as a, it was on Veronica Mars in the mm. first season. She played a girl named Lily Kane, who was the Veronica Mars season one, Laura Palmer stand in uh, like Laura Palmer or uh, Veronica Mars season one is about a I mean it's about Veronica Mars who's a high school student whose dad is a private investigator her lifelong friend who's this beautiful blonde gets murdered and it throws the entire town into a panic because this like small San Diego adjacent community everyone knows either the Kane family right which is sort of the equivalent of the Horn family in this world uh, or Everyone in the high school knew the kid because mm-hmm. she was liked by everyone yeah. and was into all sorts of bad things. Like she was, ju- it was just very Twin Peaks inspired. So to see her plop into this show in that role, like she did a great job. I thought, like I thought, yeah, the scenes, that scene was one of the scenes that felt alive and genuinely Twin Peaks to me in a way that a lot of other things haven't. And I don't think it was entirely because it was literally touching on the same subject matter. I felt like the actors did a good job in the way that yeah. it was shot uh-huh. felt, felt 
filmic and in the way that it felt like of the era of Firewalk with me to me as far as the way that Lynch did all that stuff. But also, yeah, it was goofy seeing Lily Kane show up in Twin Peaks as someone who watched Veronica Mars, like just seeing right. like you're that character, yeah, I that guess. Funny. Um, but having that happen at the same time as Ernie Hudson and Jim Belushi show up is ridiculous <laughs> that we have like two, yeah. two uh, like peaks alike universes now having their cast get injected into Twin Peaks. Right. Um, including one of which basically nobody remembers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the we we've talked about that roadhouse scene. Um, I don't think we have to talk about it that much more, but I think it's really notable. There are a couple things that are notable to point out in terms mm-hmm. of character connections. One is that uh, the threatening guy is credited as a horn. Yes. H o r n e. He's credited as Richard Horn. Yeah. Richard and Linda, two birds with one stone, is what the um, giant says at the beginning of episode one, and this is the first time that Richard's name has shown up. Oh, it's man. Sh- he's only showed up in, like, as the name of a character. It hasn't been yeah. spoken aloud. Um, I don't think a Linda has shown up yet, but that was like that's the first callback to that. Man, someone mentioned something about a Linda, and I didn't. Uh, oh no! I and I didn't. Um, we've 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 failed. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't like think about it because I I yep. hadn't remembered that connection. Well, we'll get it next week. Yeah, we'll get that later. Um, the other thing notable is that the the uh, guy who is directed to or offers to take care of this um, sort of belligerent, but then customer, who takes his cigarette case but full of money, takes a bribe is Chet. Yeah, the shitty, so the shitty deputy. It seems from like the, the it seems like the Twin Peaks uh, underworld weaving in and out of things like the Horn family and. Yeah. Law enforcement is is still here. I mean, yeah. like um, the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Office was never corrupt in the past in, in this no. way. But yeah. the Deer Meadow Sheriff's Office, which is the place that the trailer park was, which is the place uh, in Fire Walk with me, the place that the um, uh, wow Teresa Banks yeah case takes place. Their sheriff's department is, I believe, implicated in the Twin Peaks drug trade because one of the Deer Meadows sheriffs is there for the drug deal that goes down. I think he's the right. guy that, that Bobby shoots, actually. That sounds right. Yeah, that sounds um, But now we're seeing Chet in a very similar situation to that, but he's, yeah, he's do, he's passing a cigarette box full of money to a horn. Yeah. Um, also, good to confirm that Chet, who I thought was a dick, <laughs> just, is totally a dick. Asshole, yeah. Also, this is the third Chet that has shown up in Twin Peaks. I know, Peaks. I know. Uh, I, I think we, we thought that there were two. No, because we have Chet, we have Sheriff's Deputy Chet. Yeah. We have Agent... Chet Desmond. Chet Desmond, who was Chris Isaac's character in mm-hmm. Firewalk With Me. And then we had Chet from Invitation to Love. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was... It's interesting that we have three Bills mm-hmm. and we have three Chets, and it made me wonder if the fact that there's three Bills and three Chets, if we're going to start ending up getting trios... This obviously is not this that can't be universally applied, but I thought it was funny that we had a good chet, a bad chet, and a fake chet, and we have a good <laughs> Cooper, a bad Cooper, and a fake Cooper. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, doesn't doesn't mean anything, but I I was wondering because if 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 we're going to start for no reason at all, just getting into trios instead of doubles, yeah. uh, over the course of Twin Peaks season three, yeah, I guess keep an eye out, keep an eye out for those know. three. Yeah, if there's a third Mike and a third Bobby that show up, uh, it'll, be, it'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one scene we didn't discuss, which was my least favorite scene in the entire episode, which was Sheriff Truman being visited by his just like cartoon character of a wife. Yeah, which I did. I just thought was just. I, I hope that goes somewhere interesting yeah, same, instead like, of being it, the least interesting characterization like, you know, possible. Her complaints 
probably justified. Who knows? I didn't like that, that that her character introduction and the entire scene was presented from Sheriff Truman's point of view, and you were supposed to just be like, this lady, huh? Wives, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, everything like, she says, he's got. Like, he's like, a, resp- like eye rolling. Actually, or, already did the thing. Yeah, like, like you know, yeah. it. Yeah, uh, I was glad that this scene or that this episode included the the mortician who I hope to become a character, Ernie Hudson's uh, co-worker at the Pentagon, who seems like she might become more of a character. Agent Preston is getting more screen time, and the Jade is getting more screen time. It's not just a prostitute because Twin Peaks so far four episodes, five episodes in now, the amount of screen time and the way, like the perspective that we've been viewing women characters through in this show has been limited, limited, especially compared to how good the show has been in like the, like seasons one and a half of Twin Peaks were fantastic. I thought at Mm -hmm. giving care, at giving it's, it's women characters like strong interiority, strong, scenes where the the actors can really give nuanced human performances they are all they all felt even though the, the the situations that women were in in Twin Peaks have always been really dire the characters have been presented as wholly formed people yep. with lives who have to deal with these things so to see they've been largely accessory characters yeah, at like this point in Lucy this as goofy idiot or wife as nagging wife or you know like Hopefully, the longer we spend with these characters, when we get to the end, it feels like the weird limited moments were outweighed by bigger, Substance, bigger, yeah. more more substantial moments. Yep. But right now, I find myself sort of going when uh, yeah. when these things happen. But yeah, that scene. Maybe Sheriff Truman is actually just a big, big ass slob when we get home, and uh, those were like the three things he's ever managed to do, and it was just uh, co- probably coincidence. Not, probably we'll not. See. He's probably yeah. a common collected guy with a wacky wife. Yeah. Uh, you want to do some email and then wrap it up? Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, let's see. Uh, this is a funny thing. Craig writes, as a UK watcher, I loved your observation of Wally being possibly named an ode to Waldo. In the UK, Where's Waldo is called Where's Wally. So Waldo does equal Wally. Thought you might enjoy that little nugget. Also, if Craig, you remove... Wales, UK. That's good. That is really good. Yeah. Uh, if you remove uh, E. Brand, if you remove the middle syllables from his name, it is just Waldo. That's, Wally Brando just goes back true. down Wally to Waldo. Waldo. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, John writes in with an interesting observation, says there are a few callbacks to Inland Empire. One of the cops Truman addresses in the police station is named Smithy, the name of one of Laura Dern's characters' husbands in Inland Empire. Similarly, the use of Dave Brubeck recalls a section in Inland Empire where Jeremy Irons' film director character is soundtracked by Dave Brubeck's Three to Get Ready. (laughs) It could be Lynch gaining a strong taste for scoring goofy, bumbling scenes with Brubeck in the late phase of his career, but I prefer to think the extended Lynch universe is essentially collapsing in on itself and there will be many more unexplained callbacks to other works. Anything is possible. Best, John. This this brings to mind for me an interesting bit of trivia about Mulholland Drive, which is that the genesis of that film was as a an Audrey Horn spinoff movie that eventually ended up it coalescing mutated itself into really its heavily own, into its own thing. Uh, yeah. Um, Laura Palmer and Renette Pulaski, those actresses show up dressed basically as those characters mm-hmm. in uncredited roles in a scene in Mulholland Drive as in well. In a club called Silencio. Yeah, which feels very... A club very that David Lynch, David Lynch has now actually opened up in Paris, I think about 10 years okay. ago. Okay, but that yeah. club f- feels very, like, lodgy as well. Def- yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. 
Um, here's an email from Danielle Jubert, which I really appreciate. She says, hi, Chris and Jake. I started watching Twin Peaks for the first time three weeks ago at my mother's recommendation. I had no idea a sequel was about to be released. That changed quickly as I watched the original series on Showtime's streaming service and was bombarded with new promos before every episode. One of these promos was the clip from the finale of Cooper smashing his face into the mirror and Bob smiling back. Obviously, this massive and entirely unavoidable spoiler left me peeved. I'm curious for your thoughts on this decision and whether it changes your opinions on their ad campaign for the new series. It feels strange I haven't seen anyone complaining about it. Wouldn't a revival of a classic show naturally draw in new viewers who don't want the ending played before their paid stream of the fourth original episode? Do I deserve to be punished for having been born after 1992? Thanks, Danielle. I thought that the way that Showtime has been inserting promotional materials for Twin Peaks when you're watching Twin Peaks to it's be a, to be their biggest misstep to yeah. the point that it's like I think it's how garbage. could you even do this? Like you have a computer, it knows you can tell it to not do that. Yeah. To, like even even I I mentioned this I think when we were watching either episode one or two of Twin Peaks: The Return, they're cutting in pilots or, or, or previews for Twin Peaks: The Return, which yeah. like before before the, you've seen any of it and before the show was on the air, I didn't mind seeing little just vignettes context free of things but now that i know what the storylines are and where the characters are going seeing a shot like if you if suddenly right now they were to show me footage of agent cooper holding a gun in a suit which i've not seen that's just the thing yeah. i made up i would be like fucking t- turn that off i don't want to see that now yeah, yeah. like i mean i think there's a real big difference between every we understand the reality of when you're promoting something when you're promoting a piece of film or television yes realistically you have to show clips from it in order to convey tone and subject matter and all these things right. that you want. But once someone's already watching, but, it. yeah, when you're already bought in, cut it out. Just stop. They're already doing it. Yeah, Leave it. I, that. Yeah, I wanted to read this email because it really annoys me. Yeah, I, think I don't Danielle understand is it. Correct that that's an outrage. Oh, someone asked uh, on the forums: the cigarette pack is Morley brand cigarettes, which is totally notable if you're an X Files fan because it's the oh, brand the jer- of the cigarette the jerk in the roadhouse. Yeah, the jerk yeah. in the roadhouse hands a pack of Morley cigarettes over, which is what the cigarette smoking man is smoking. And I think, although it would be really fun to read that explicitly as an X Files wink, the Morley brand cigarettes is actually like a twentieth, a twentieth century yeah. Hollywood classic fake Marlboro. So like the X Men, X Men, geez, the X Files. It probably was in an X Men thing too. Who knows? The X Files. Turning that into a plot point and saying that the cigarette smoking man smokes Morley's and stuff feels like it in and of itself was a wink to the fact that Morley's yeah. is the on-screen generic brand. So from like dozens of movies, yeah. So like shows, it, yeah. it could also be a knowing knowing look at the X Files. It's it's really hard for me to know. Like obviously Mark Frost and David Lynch know what the X Files are. They probably know what Veronica Mars is. They probably also know what was that show, the uh, Jim Belushi uh, show, Wild Palms. They also probably know what Wild Palms is. How deliberately they're actually referring to any of these things by casting these people? Yeah, I, I imagine the odds are low uh, that it was meant to be a commentary. If anything, they might have been like, "We liked them," but uh, yeah. I, you know, I. Yep. Just I think sometimes a morally cigarettes is just a morally cigarettes. Well, on that, on that <laughs> pearl of wisdom. We can wrap up this episode of Twin Peaks Rewatch. We have more email to read, but we're g- running long already, so we'll we'll save it for next week. If you have email yeah. to send us, you can do so at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. Thank you so much for everyone who's been listening to the show, uh, commenting, sending us email, reviewing us on iTunes. It really means a lot. It's been awesome to be doing this uh, as Twin Peaks has been going on in real time. So we will be back next week 
with discussion of episode six. Yes. One more thing to add. In the meantime, if you're looking for people to talk to uh, oh, yeah. to talk to about Twin Peaks, about this week's episode, and what you're looking looking forward to or speculating about next week, uh, or details that you noticed that we didn't or that you think would be interesting, the Twin Peaks rewatch forums are once again alive and well with a bunch of great discussions. So if you go to TwinPeaksRewatch.com and hit the forums link up at the top in the nav bar, uh, there's a Twin Peaks rewatch forum with per episode threads full of really good discussion going on. Yep. All right. We'll we'll talk to you next week. For all thumbs, I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Bye. Bye.